0: Just a little warning before we begin that this series contains strong language and discussion of an adult nature, so may not be suitable for everybody. Welcome to Where Mama At in the Soul Bear Sessions series with me, Angela Smith. This series tells true life stories from extraordinary people who thrived after enduring extreme trauma and life challenges. And they're speaking out and bearing their souls, often for the very first time, to share their stories and offer hope to other people who are going through difficult situations. The special guest today who over the next few episodes is going to be telling his incredible life story is Terence Holloway in fact his story is so dramatic and so filled with incredible twists and turns that there's actually a movie being made about it it's a story about growing up on the run from a drug gang becoming a rap star and working with the likes of Tupac and Exhibit looking for his homeless mother on the dangerous streets of Los Angeles and even building an alter ego to escape his real identity after being a three-time victim of sexual abuse Here are a few clips of what's to come in this episode
1: My dad was a killer, like my dad was a hustler, like he was really really serious like he took me to Oakland to go talk to Romeo the Pimp in Oakland He'll walk into my my, uh, classroom and then he'd be like, I need to talk to my son. And then that would be an excuse for me to be able to get out the class. And I was okay to get out the class. But then me and my dad go smoke weed up under the bleachers. So
0: what was going through your mind when you were sleeping at all these different people's
1: I didn't even give a fuck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Let's do it one more time.
0: <laughs> so what was going through your mind when you were sleeping at all these different people's houses? Did you have a plan? Yes. Um...
1: I wanted to get out of Houston, Texas. Like, I wanted to get out of there. I didn't feel comfortable in Houston. So, um, I know it doesn't sound really uh, right, but what I started doing was started stealing from everybody that um, let me sleep in their houses. And um, I started stealing from people's lockers at school. So, I started gathering up clothes and gathering up money. And then, um, did you
0: ever get caught? No. No one ever knew it was
1: you? No, I was really, really, really sneaky at that point. Mm-hmm. I was really, really sneaky at that point. I gathered up enough clothes and I gathered up enough money and got in contact with my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Uh, And they actually bought the Greyhound ticket for me to actually get back from Houston to Los Angeles.
0: So you didn't get chased out of Houston then? No. Did you live rough at all during that time? Or did you manage to get a different bed for, for the night each night?
1: It was a couple of nights where it was rough. Yeah.
0: yeah. Where did you sleep?
1: Sometimes no sleep, just walk the streets. I've always had a, I guess you would call it a sleeping disorder. Mm-hmm. Like I've always had that to where um, I'll be up for hours and hours and I'll just sleep for a couple hours and then be rejuvenated off of two hours. So a couple of nights it was bus benches. Um, I remember one night um, I tried to do the same thing that I, that my brother did. I broke into an apartment and like an empty apartment and slept on the floor. Um, I remember I went to the school and slept at the school, but I was actually waiting for the school to open before everybody got there because I was trying to break in lockers. Mm. So um, I, me, I would say it's like little stuff like that, but it's not like. Yeah, so, yeah, some nights it was rough.
0: How do you feel about that now with hindsight? Do you feel bad that you broke into lockers and took clothes and money from people?
1: No, No. No, I was trying to survive. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to make it and survive. Yeah. No, I don't feel bad at all.
0: Do you think people should look more closely at the circumstances of, you know, if something gets stolen? Do you think people are very quick to judge?
1: Yes. You never know. Like you like you have no idea what somebody's going through to yeah. actually try to survive. Like you don't know, like nobody knew. Nobody knew. Everybody just thought I was like like I said, everybody thought I was like the cool kid from LA. Nobody really knew what I was going through. Right.
0: Yeah. Are you still in touch with any of those people from Houston who whose houses you slept in?
1: Nobody. No. No.
0: Would you like I, to be?
1: No. No. No, I left Houston in a blur in my mind. Yeah.
0: yeah. What was your attitude towards your mom at this point? What did you th- when you thought of her? Were you angry? Were you sad? Did you miss her?
1: Mm. I was more angry.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was the it was the move to Houston. Like I was I was like my back against the wall when I first got to Houston. I like I just I couldn't believe this shit. Like I couldn't believe that.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, it was, yeah, I didn't have a good time in Houston at all.
0: Did she end up staying in Houston for a long period after that?
1: That's where her home yeah. ended up being. Yeah. hmm
0: Okay, so you you called your grandparents, they sent you the, a Greyhound bus ticket, mm-hmm. and you got on a bus bound for LA. How soon after you being thrown out was that, would you say?
1: I would say it was about a
0: month.
1: About um, a month. Yeah, about a month.
0: And at this stage, you're still around 13 years old.
1: Yeah, I was 13.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Remember how you felt on that Greyhound bus? I was happy. Yeah? It was, really? it
1: was Yeah, it was like, finally. Yeah, it yeah. was like, finally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And what happened on the bus?
1: The first night on the bus, I remember um, I was sitting in a seat and the lady behind me, she put her purse up under the seat and she had moved her purse with her feet. I guess she was stretching out to where the purse hit my foot up under my seat. I'm I'm right in front of her. So I reached down and I was like, okay. I reached down and I seen that it was a purse. And then, so I was like, oh shit. So I looked around and I waited until she went to sleep and I went inside her purse and then it was a gang of money in the purse. So I snatched the money out the purse and I put it in my pocket. And you don't have assigned seats on the Greyhound. It's not like the airplane. It's first come, first serve. You sit wherever you want. Um, So when it was time to go for the next stop, it was early, so I hurry up and got off the bus first and went off the bus. So she didn't know that I was sitting in that seat. So we get off the bus, get back on the bus, and then I I go and sit all the way in the back of the bus and then now I'm just peeping out people on the on the Greyhound. So when they go to sleep, then I start going through purses. And I start taking the money from the purses. The Greyhound was three days, so I did that for three days.
0: no one saw you?
1: Nobody 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 caught me.
0: And how much did you get?
1: Um, I probably had like three in between three thousand dollars and like in between three and four thousand dollars.
0: How did that make you feel?
1: I thought I was the shit. I had all these stolen clothes, <laughs> all this money. I'm thirteen years old. Like, yeah, I thought I was the shit. Wow. Yeah. What did your
0: grandpa? Did your grandparents know that you had a load of money on you? No. No, you didn't. Mm-hmm.
1: They had no idea what was going on. They didn't know yeah. what I was bringing to L.A. So, if I would have came to Los Angeles with what I left my house with, it, I, it would have been all bad for me. Just been a backpack, no underwear, no socks, no toothbrush. I know my grandparents would have got it, but you know what I'm saying? It's just, I would have came out with maybe like two pair of pants and a shirt or two shirts. It was just my old school backpack. Mm. But when I ended up going to LA, I ended up with like two big old bags and a lot of money in my pocket. I even had jewelry that I got from some of the people that I took from Houston. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So they met you at the... At the Greyhound station?
1: Yeah, they met me at the Greyhound station and then I went straight to the mall.
0: With them, or...?
1: Yeah, they dropped me off. They dropped me off at the mall.
0: Because you needed to spend some of that yeah, money. Yeah, I wanted
1: to spend some of that money.
0: And what did you buy?
1: Um, I bought shoes because I didn't have shoes. I had a lot of clothes and a lot of money and some jewelry, but I didn't have shoes. Because shoes, was too it was too bulky to be put in and be trying to carry around in the streets.
0: And how did you feel that first night in your grandparents' house?
1: I felt relieved. Yeah. But I was still angry. I wanted to know where my brother was at. I was on a mission to see where my brother was at.
0: Were you more angry with your brother than you were your mom?
1: Because- yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He left me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Have you ever got over that?
1: No. He knows it too. Really? That's, that's one of the things. He's done that three times in my life. He's left me three times in my life. Oh. In weird like weird situations. That was that was the first time, but like weird situations where you just don't leave your brother, like your little brother. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. that's one of the things where we don't have a get back with that.
0: Has he tried to make amends to you?
1: In his own way, yeah. yeah.
0: But it's not enough. <laughs> You'll never forgive him.
1: <laughs> no, I forgave him. I just never forget. Right. I forgave him for sure.
0: Yeah. But
1: I, I'll never forget that though.
0: What was his excuse? What was his reason? Why did he say he didn't pick you up?
1: He said he didn't pick me up because he stole the card from the rental card place. But I was like, that was the goddamn idea. <laughs> so it was like we already know the car was stolen. Yeah. He just, he just, he just left. And then um, when he left, he came to Los Angeles, and then he was hanging with my other brother, my big brother. So that was another that was another thing with me. Like you left your little brother to go mm-hmm. hang with the brother that's a part of the gangs, and it's like it was just like it was. I was I was over it, but I was looking for him though, and he yeah. he didn't make himself shown for a couple of years.
0: And he knew that you were there? Uh Uh-huh. Because he was in touch with the grandparents? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And where was he living?
1: Um, He was living with my brother and then he got a girlfriend and he was just in the streets.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He had a a friend out here and he ended up staying with his best friend that he lived with. Mm -hmm. He lived with one of his best friends that he had before we even went to Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, When we went to a lot of these places, my brother was always back in L.A. So I didn't know where he was at. Right. Most of the time.
0: Coincidentally, um, your return to L.A. coincided with your dad finally being released from prison. Yes. Tell me about when you first saw him.
1: When I first saw my dad, it was a party at the house. And it was like a, all of the old school partners, some of the people that actually was in prison with him. Um, a lot of people that my mom told him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and my dad came in, uh, I was on the front porch and I seen him pull up. And when I seen him pull up, I hurried up and ran in the house.
0: And was this him pulling up from jail? Like this was the day that he'd been released or had he been somewhere else first?
1: He was somewhere else first, but this was his first day coming to the house. Okay. So when he first got out of jail, he was with his, he was with his partners and stuff and his friends. Um, so this is his first day actually coming to the Mm -hmm. house. Um so i just ran in the house i ran in the house i didn't even it was it was i was scared of him and i didn't know what he was going to think of me Hmm. so i ran in the house and i was with my grandparents and um next thing you know he just walks in and he comes and grabs me and gives me a kiss on my forehead
0: and you knew it was your dad yeah 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 yeah. had you visited him in Prison
1: at all? I visited him one time in prison.
0: Just once? With yeah, your once, mom or? With my mother.
1: Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Right. I went and seen him in prison one time. And how was
0: that?
1: I don't remember that. I just know that that's what they told me. Right. Yeah, okay. they told me I was there.
0: Okay. Yeah, so I
1: don't, rem- I don't, I don't, I can't recall it
0: hmm So he kissed you on your forehead?
1: He kissed me on my forehead, grabbed me, put me in a headlock, and then took me outside. And, and uh, he grabbed a joint from one of his friends, and he made me smoke a joint, and then made me take two shots of tequila. And then that's how we started our conversation.
0: And that was his way of... What was he trying to do with that?
1: No, it's, it's, it wasn't. he wasn't trying to do nothing. That's just how my dad was. Yeah.
0: yeah. And how did you feel? I felt good. Yeah?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I felt good.
0: Were you relieved as well that he wasn't hostile in any way?
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You can say that. You can say I was relieved. Um, The scariness came out of me. I wasn't scared Mm. no more. You know what I'm saying?
0: So what was your relationship like then from that point on with your dad?
1: Um, From that point on, my dad was my best and worst enemy. Mm. He's my best friend and one of my worst friends. Okay. And he 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 said, like, I'm not going to be your dad. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's too late for that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. He was really adamant about that. Like, I'm going to teach you the streets, and I'm going to teach you how to handle yourself. And that's what he did.
0: OK. Yeah. So what kind of lessons did he teach you?
1: Um, He taught me how to roll weed, right? He taught me how to drink, (laughs) he taught me that. He taught me the streets though. He taught me, um, one of the main things with my dad was respect. So he was really, really highly heavy on respect. Like heavy on respect and heavy on how you talk to people and heavy on looking people in the eyes and heavy on being a follower and not like, like, heavy on being a leader and not a follower, excuse me. And he's seen that I had qualities of me that were qualities in him. Um, one of the things that will always stick to me is my dad told me out of all of, all of, out of, all of the kids, all, all of the brothers, he was like, you have all the good in me and not the bad. My dad was a killer. Like, my dad was a hustler. Like, he was really, really serious. Like So, yeah, he got... Got me drunk. Yeah, he smoked weed with me. You know, we ain't never did drugs nothing like that. He was always totally against that, and I never really seen him on drugs. I knew he did drugs, but he always hide that from me. Mm-hmm. Um, the the worst he'd do with me is smoke weed and get me drunk. But outside of like learning, learning how to conduct myself in the streets, that's what he helped me help helped me with.
0: How much did you see of him? Were you living with him?
1: Yeah, we all lived in my grandmother's house. We all, like me and my dad lived in the living room, like on both couches. I was on a little couch, wow. he was on a big couch.
0: Wow, how long did that last?
1: Years. Hmm. Like years. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll be right back continuing the conversation with Terence after these quick messages from our sponsors. From the same company that brought you this series, there are three new podcasts that we strongly recommend. The first one is a true crime series called Framed for Murder, the case of Matthew Turner. It's a really harrowing and quite intriguing true crime series about a guy who's now 32 years old and he spent the last 14 years in prison for a crime that all the evidence suggests he did not commit. The series, available as a podcast or on video, follows his legal team as they reinvestigate the case and fight for his exoneration in real time. If you're a true Crime fan, it's absolutely not to be missed. On a totally different note, we've got a podcast about online dating called Accidentally MILF Online Dating Adventures After 50 with Angel Bliss. The podcast has already won nine awards, and if you listen to it, you'll understand why. Oh my goodness, the scrapes and the stories that are told in this podcast are absolutely hilarious. It is brilliant, fun, and is highly, highly recommended. And for music fans everywhere, Paul Ryder, the legendary bass player of Manchester Legends' Happy Mondays, who sadly passed away in July 2022, well, he has a brand new series coming out, available as a podcast or on video, called The Paul Ryder Tapes, Sex, Drugs, Happy Mondays and Me. You see, in the months leading up to his death, he sat down with me and told his whole life story in absolute depth revealing lots of secrets about Happy Mondays. And he also talks about his own drug addiction, his own struggles with mental health. And there are lots of really funny and special anecdotes and cool guests such as Paul Oakenfold, Peter Hook, Clint Boone and many, many other big names from the music world. So that's the Paul Ryder tapes coming soon. Please check that one out as well. So at some point during this time you made a decision to reinvent yourself. Yes. Tell me about that.
1: Um it was right after I got back to Los Angeles that's when I started reinventing myself. Okay. Um I had a uh after being around my dad and like even learning how to dress right even and then I had money, you know what I'm saying, I had a lot of clothes and he was just like he was like, "Oh, okay." Like he he felt proud of me in some kind of sense. Like he felt proud of one of his kids and I'm the youngest. So he felt proud of me. I didn't want to no longer be this kid that had these problems. I didn't want to be Terrence anymore. And I came up with a name Romeo because a lot of girls like me, I was always dressed. I had a finger waves in my hair. It was always laid at jury. And then like a lot of girls was attracted to me. So. um, I came up with the name Romeo Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and then I talked to my dad about it. And, uh, first thing he did is he took me to Oakland and he, uh, it was a guy that he knew named Romeo in Oakland. That was a pimp. And he took me to Oakland to go talk to Romeo, the pimp in Oakland. And when I went to Oakland and met Romeo, the pimp, I was infatuated with that whole lifestyle of the player. And I didn't want to be the hustler and I didn't want to be game member. Um, I didn't, I wasn't a square, so you have different things in the hood.
0: You okay, can tell be, me more about
1: that. You have different things in the hood. It's like you're either gonna gang bang, you're gonna play basketball, you're gonna probably try to be a rapper, you're gonna be a hustler, or you're gonna be a player, or you're gonna be a pimp. And that's that's what the hood that's that's what you grow up in the hood to be. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like the youngsters kinda of grow up in the hood to be those kind of characters. Mm-hmm. Some of them end up square and they have moms and dads and go to college and stuff like that. But in the hood, you have these characteristics of Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And I was infatuated with the player and the pimps. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And my dad liked that. (laughs) (laughs) He did, he liked that.
0: So how did you, as Romeo, dress?
1: Um, I started dressing like my dad, but it was just more of a new age. So it wasn't zoot suits, but I'll be wearing suits. Um, I'll wear... uh, three piece suits uh, where everything had to match from head to toe, to socks, to drawers, to mm-hmm. outside, to pants, to jacket, to shirts, everything had to match. And I was really into pastel colors. So I would always wear pink and light blues and something that attracts somebody. And I had, um, I had rings all over my fingers. I had um, four rings on my left and then a pinky ring and um, my, my uh, pointer finger ring. And then I had a um, couple big old chains. One of them had a Playboy bunny. And then I used to have gold teeth.
0: Wow. Yeah. How did you have gold teeth? Like something that fitted over your natural uh-huh. teeth? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And how did people respond to you in that alter ego? Did people relate to you differently as Romeo than they did when you were Terence?
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: What was the difference?
1: Romeo was the man, Terrence was not. Terrence had the problems. Terrence was quiet, Terrence was preserved. Terrence didn't mess with nobody. Romeo was the person that messed with everybody. and was like, it was just like I opened up myself. Like that's when I started opening up.
0: Were you acting when you were Romeo? Or was that the real you? No, that was me. There was no sense of acting Mm -mm. at all. Mm -mm. So effectively having the persona of Romeo Enabled you to bring out the real you that mm. maybe was repressed as Terence, is that right?
1: Yeah, you can say that. Yeah.
0: So when you were Terence, you knew you had this thing in you, but you were too shy to really live that and be that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So Romeo was born at age thirteen, then effectively fourteen. 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 Okay. Yeah.
1: 13 is when I left Texas. And that's when it was started happening. So 14 years right. old, yeah.
0: It was when he really came into his own.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And did you never refer to yourself as Terrence during that time Mm-mm. at all?
1: Only no. person that would call me Terrence is my grandmother and a teacher because they had to. Hmm. Even my grandfather, even my auntie, everybody would, like, my nickname is Terry. Hmm. Everybody had nicknames, all the brothers, all of us had nicknames. So in the house, they'll call me Terry, but outside the house, nobody would call me. Nobody Mm. would call me that. I wouldn't let nobody call me that. No.
0: -mm. So your dad used to take you to school sometime, didn't
1: he? Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah, my dad would, he'll take me to school. Um, First thing he'll do is he'll get a raw egg and he'll punch a hole in the top of the raw egg.
0: On the way to school, in the car?
1: Yeah, this is the first thing that we do when we get up before we leave. This is before we even get in the car. Oh. He'll get a raw egg and punch his and punch mine, and then we have to suck the yolk out the raw egg. Ew. And then he'll give me a, a shot of tequila with the worm in it.
0: All right, every morning?
1: Yeah, and then we'll smoke a joint, and then that's how I went to school, every morning.
0: Wow, and how did that make you feel?
1: At that point, I thought my dad was cool as shit. <laughs> Nobody else dad did they shit. You know what I'm saying I thought my dad was cool as shit. Um, but it didn't. It didn't. Yeah, it did. I was gonna say it didn't impair me. But well, yeah, it did. Cause I like when I get to school, like I just chill out. I go to I go to maybe second period and third period, and then I'm out of there. And they knew. Hmm. Um, when I was in junior high school, I made sure that I did enough to pass junior high school to get to high school, though. Hmm. Yeah.
0: So you went to high school? Mm-hmm. But you didn't really go? You, no, you high school, it, it was over. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: I, didn't, I didn't feel school was for me.
0: No, but um, you were popular. Yes, very. Your dad was heavily involved in the school mm-hmm. in a kind of volunteer yeah. capacity. Tell me about
1: that. Yeah, we moved... Um, across the street from the high school I lived in. So it was me, my grandparents, my dad. Yeah, me, my grandparents, my dad. And every once in a while, my brothers would be come and stay with us a couple of days. You know what I'm saying? And we was all living in like a two bedroom apartment. So my dad, myself, will always be in the living room. My grandfather and my grandmother in the bedroom. My, my great grandmother in one room. She always had her own room. Mm-hmm. Um, And we lived across the street from the school. Uh, my great grandmother was older at this time, and kind of see now a little bit. My grandfather was really heavy in the church with my grandmother. Like they were heavy in the mm. church, so they would be going out all the time to go pray for people, to go to hospitals, go to people houses. So they wasn't there a lot. My great grandmother was just sweet. She didn't know about school. She didn't really know about time. Mm. So I can I can go to school at eight o'clock in the morning, and then I'll jump the gate like about 11 o'clock and walk in the house and my grandmother was just like, oh, you out of school today? Like mm-hmm. school is out. She didn't have no idea of the time. So I kind of took advantage of that mm-hmm. a little bit. My dad seen that and he seen a way where he can actually get some money. So he started messing with the dean of the high school. Mm-hmm. And um, my ninth grade year, my my dad started working at the high school as like a counselor for all the bad kids and they set him up with an office and everything. My dad would talk his way in anything. So my dad ended up with an office and shit.
0: And he didn't have any qualifications. He didn't so. have no
1: qualifications. Nothing. My dad was on the news for it and everything. Like, you know what I'm saying? It was called Hammy Dad. It was Hamilton High School. His name was Hammy Dad. So, um all the bad kids, he'll take a liking of them. And I mean, he'll do what he do. He do what he does. You know what I'm saying? My dad will walk and walk through the halls and he'll get weed from a couple of us. Like he'll walk into he'll walk into my uh, my uh classroom. And then he'd be like, I need to talk to my son. And then that would be an excuse for me to be able to get out the class. And I was okay to get out the class, but then me and my dad go smoke weed up under the bleachers. <laughs> like, it was like serious. And then, um, so he was able to convince the Dean to change my grades and to change my absences. Um, mm. So I was able to pass ninth grade. I was absent for like 120 some days. And I was able to pass ninth grade cause she changed all my grades. And then he started getting more heavy, heavy, heavy in the school. So then that's when he started taking us on trips. And um, like we went to one trip to Oakland. Then we went to one trip to Catalina, Catalina Island. That's when he took all the bad kids to Catalina Island. And um, he would charge the parents a certain price. And then he wouldn't tell the parents, like we was all bad kids so the kids didn't care anyway kids didn't give a fuck so he would tell the parents that we're going to catalina island and it cost this much to get there and then plus room and board but when we get there it ain't no room and board we sleeping in tents so he would cash out on that money everything was about money you know he had cash out on that money so when we went to catalina that's when he had us all like ramsack uh, one one of their uh, grocery stores. So he had us all stealing meat. He had us all stealing <laughs> liquor. He had us stealing cheeses and breads and everything for our trip. Right when we got there, he had us go ramsack uh, their grocery store, and we did it. We ramsacked it. We went and got um, went and got a tent. We barbecued. We had the time like for the kids though. We had a time of our life there.
0: But we like, had them all out stealing uh-huh, on a school yeah. trip. <laughs> yes, yes.
1: But we had the time of our, like, it was dope for and us.
0: Nobody got caught? No, nah,
1: nobody got what caught. What
0: was his tactic? How did he, how did everybody get away with it?
1: Um, he has go to different, different aisles. Like, he, he already scoped it out. He had to go, like, you no, know, me, I was in charge of the liquor, because um, I was good at stealing liquor. Um, one person was in charge of the meat, one person in charge of the breads and shit. Like the breads and cheese and then one person vegetables.
0: But how did they not get caught? Like all those kids stealing at the same time. Surely the stores must have been suspicious in some way, no? No. Were they big stores or little ones? Big store. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, it's was a big grocery store. Right. Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm.
0: What else happened on the trip to Catalina?
1: Uh, a couple of the kids got into a fight. Uh, one of them put a knife on one of the kids. We had to stop it. I got in the middle. I got cut. We did a kumbaya afterwards, <laughs> we did a barbecue, like, <laughs> and then we went back on the boat and came back home.
0: So who were you hanging around with when you were at school at that, during that period? Who was your crew?
1: Um, I was a part of like, it wasn't a gang, like people would consider it a gang, but it was, it was a crew.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it wasn't like a Crip or a Blood or nothing like that. It was like all the high school had crews. So I was a part of one of, one of the biggest crews in our high school. It was called AHP after our players.
0: After our players, mm-hmm. <laughs> and at high school was when you met um the mother of your kids.
1: Yes, um, we were at the park, and then one of my friends he had a girlfriend that went to a rival rival school, mm-hmm. so he didn't want to go up to the school by himself. So I went up to the school with him, and then. Um, on this, uh, We went to the school, went to the bleachers, to the top of the bleachers, because we wanted to go to the top where no white can walk behind us, because we was from the rival school, mm. you know what I'm saying? So um, his girlfriend came up with her friend or her best friend. And then automatically, right when me and her seen each other, we kind of walked off, we started talking and we had a chemistry right when we seen each other.
0: Mm. Had you ever had a girlfriend before or?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, at this time I had a couple.
0: But this one was different?
1: Yeah, she was different.
0: Mm. Yeah, she was different. Did you fall in love, do you think? Would you would you say at that age?
1: Not at that age. Later on I did. Yeah. Yeah. We were 16. So around 18 that's when love really mm. At first it was puppy love. Like we were both 16 years old. So mm. first it was the puppy love and then 18 mm. it was it was like okay. Like this is it.
0: And how did you how did you interact with each other were you allowed to be alone together did you were your grandparents um welcoming of her into the house and things or did you have to meet in secret
1: what no i used it? to get hotel rooms my did dad you? my dad would give me a hotel room really? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like all the homecomings like i, I was a party guy like every homecoming every dance i would have hotel rooms and i would have all the liquor for the kids really mm-hmm. and my dad would be the bartender
0: was he selling the liquor? No, no. no. He would just buy it for everybody. Mm-hmm.
1: Like I was the party guy, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody would come to my hotel.
0: And what did what did your girlfriend think of of the Romeo persona? Did she know it was a persona or no? She didn't. No, know it wasn't. A Romeo. A, it
1: wasn't a persona. Right.
0: It was me. Yeah. It
1: wasn't like nothing made up.
0: Mm. And how did she feel about that? She loved it in yeah. the beginning. Yeah.
1: mm Hmm. It's just uh, later on down, the line, she didn't. And that's when things got bad because she thought that she can change me. Right.
0: mm mm-hmm. Did that become a recurring theme in your relationships, do you think?
1: No. No. Oh. A lot of the women that I messed with messed with me because of who I was. Mm. And it wasn't, like, trying to change. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just me and her was really keen with each other and she she wanted a different me after a certain amount of years basically after the kids like she wanted a different me
0: mm.
1: yeah and I wasn't changing
0: no okay well we'll come to the kids in a bit because mm-hmm. they're coming not yeah. too that uh, and not too uh, many years time um, so you did you graduate high school no 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 Um, Um,
1: High school, uh, 10th grade. uh, I was absent again for like 100 and some days. And then that's when that that's when it all came all down. They called my auntie, which is my legal guardian. Oh, in Houston? No, my auntie, my dad's sister. Okay. So to get in high school, I had to have a legal guardian because I didn't have a parent. My dad wasn't doing it. My dad... My dad wasn't around at that time. Mm. He was doing other things. So my auntie ended up being my legal guardian. That's how I ended up being able to go into a school. So they ended up calling her and she was devastated. She was like heartbroken. I felt so bad. Yeah, Mm. she was heartbroken. But um, um, close to the end of 10th grade and after this meeting with her and the principal and stuff, I just walked out and never went back.
0: You were selling weed around that time, weren't
1: you? Yeah, I was selling weed at at school. So when I stopped going to school, everybody, all the teachers and stuff, everybody didn't know I stopped going to school. Everybody didn't know I got expelled from school. So I was, And then I lived across the street, so i will be able to hang out at the lunches and at the nutrition. So I'd be able to go hop the gate and sell my weed and hop the gate and go back home.
0: And were you making a lot of money doing that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah?
1: Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I made a lot of money selling weed at school.
0: Were you ever tempted to sell other drugs? No. No. Mm-mm. Mm -hmm. So you were the man, effectively The the
1: kid,
0: yeah With your grandparents, you were in West LA And you gravitated towards the Crenshaw district Which became, correct me if I'm wrong But I feel like your heart is kind of Crenshaw You often talk about Crenshaw, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah I think in the next episode we're going to talk about the Crenshaw years And the infamous barbershop that you set up there and, And your rap career
1: Yeah
0: so let's do that next time. Thank you. On the next episode, Terrence continues his incredible life story.
1: He called me one day and he was like, um, "I have an MTV show and I want you to come and help me out." Mm-hmm. So from the day one of Pit My Ride to the last day of Pit My Ride, I was there on set and I was there with Exhibit and I worked on the show mm. and I seen bullet holes in my door. And um, so I opened up the door and the bullet holes. It directed from the door to the couch where everybody be chilling at and where I actually be sleeping at.
0: Please visit our website at wheremommat.com or soulbearsessions.com where you'll find links to all of our socials as well as information about resources that might be useful to you if some of the things that we've talked about today have resonated with you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd really appreciate a review and please tell your friends about the series and help spread the message that no matter how grim a situation may seem, there are others who have gone through something similar and have made it through. Thank you so much for listening. It really, really means the world to us and we look forward to having you with us again next time. Have a great day and thank you. This series was brought to you by Glistening Productions. It was produced by Angela Smith, Associate Producer was Sarah Walters, Editing was by Terence Holloway and Richard Haywood, Cameras by Richard Venti, Sound Recording was by Marty Black, and the Executive Producers are Angela Smith and M. Jacoby.
1: Glistening Productions.